Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in a new series called Twisted, and what we're doing is we're looking at some of the most misused and misunderstood verses in the Bible. Today we're going to look at probably, maybe number one. I, I mean, I, it's probably a pretty good guess that this would be number one, mis, most misquoted Bible verse by non-Christians. And one of the more popular ones to misquote by Christians as well. It's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And if you want to go ahead and find that, that's where we're going to anchor uh, most of the day. Um, We'll be all over the place, but that's kind of what we're going to be coming back to. And um, these are the words of Jesus, okay? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, I just read that normally, but normally when I hear that verse quoted or misquoted or tried to apply to something... This is what you hear. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. You know, it's got attitude to it. You know, they, they, and generally what they do is they don't even do it out of the NIV. For some reason, they go old school King James. Judge not, lest you be judged. You know, you hear it with attitude. You hear it with a little kickback. You know, like got some, some sriracha sauce on it or something. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's not done in a kind way. You know, people don't even believe in the Bible, but they sure believe that verse and are happy to quote it to you, and they always say it with attitude. Jesus said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, you have no right to tell me what to do. I do what I want with my life, and and you do what you want with your life. You're a sinner too, and if it doesn't matter what I do as long as you know, I, it makes me happy and it doesn't hurt anybody else. And we did a whole series basically talking about that. So judge not lest you be judged and do not judge me or you too will be judged. That's, is that really how that verse is, is supposed to go? I mean, this might be one of the most pervasive values in culture today that we should tolerate everything, every kind of behavior, every kind of belief system, that you have no right to say that something is wrong. In fact, back my, you think back to the, you know, the, the Phil Donahue days. That's really going back, isn't it? You've got to be old to remember Phil Donahue. But you could go on that show and say anything, but one thing you couldn't go on that show and say is you're wrong. You couldn't say wrong. That, 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 that's the last thing you can say. Think about our culture. That's the one thing you're really not supposed to say anymore is you're wrong. Um, it, it does stink to be judged, though, doesn't it? It does stink to be judged. Not that that's ever happened to me. Um, that never happens to me. Um, it stinks to be judged. And, it, it, you know, it's this thing alone that is probably the number one thing that drives non-believers away from the church. They don't want anything to do with the church. They don't want anything to do with Christians. They're sick of the judgment. They're sick of the, the rhetoric. They don't, you know, they're sick of having people look down their nose at them. Um, the things you'll hear is Christians are just so judgmental. They're so narrow. They, they just, you know, they're hypocrites. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Is that exactly what he meant when he was saying it? In other words, if that's true, then we have really um, no other way but to just acknowledge that teachers really can't, they don't have a right to judge an essay. Who are you to put an A or a B on my paper? You, you got no right to judge my paper. I mean, who are you to judge me? Um, if we take this at face value, then no one on a jury can decide whether somebody's guilty or innocent of a crime. 
Who are you to say that I'm innocent or guilty? And if you're a police officer, you have no right to tell me I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. If I feel like driving on this side of the road, daggone it, I should be allowed to drive on that side of the road. And you should be allowed to be run over by a truck, too. I mean, that, you know, it's kind of how it goes. I mean, is that what Jesus was saying, really? Is that, is that really what it means, the way we seem to have interpreted this thing? I think we would probably agree that at some level, maybe we need to be allowed to judge. I'll ask you some questions, and you can think about it a little bit, and I'm just going to admit to you up front, some of these are designed to make you, to be a little tricky, to kind of make you think a little bit. Do you have the right to judge somebody's bad haircut? Okay, don't point at them right now. If you're sitting next to them, just look straight ahead, don't look at them, don't point, just act like we're talking about something else, right? Not, just don't look, don't look. You're, you're like, oh, it's, but Brett, it's so bad. No, don't judge it. Um... What if it's your kid's haircut? What if it's your kid's haircut and they want to get something nasty engraved into the side of their head? Put a bad word on there. Is it okay for you to speak truth into that? I kind of think it probably is, right? Yeah. You know, Dad, you just don't understand. It's what all the kids are doing. And then it's my job to do that whole thing. Well, if all your other friends were eating glass, would you do that too? You know, that's my job as a parent. (laughs) What if some random guy at work He's married, and, and he's really flirty, and you don't know him. I mean, is it okay for you? Do you have the right to walk up and speak into his life and say, hey, dude, you're married. You know, you shouldn't be doing stuff like that. Do you have the right to do that or not? Let me ask you this. What if he's your best friend? He's in your small group. He's a Christian. He's married, and it really, really looks bad what he's doing. Is it okay for you to walk up to him and say, hey, man, that's not cool what you're doing. Really not cool what you're doing. Let's try this. Culture says anybody can have sex with anybody these days. I'm not saying that's what we say, but the culture seems to think anybody can have sex with anybody. Um, you know, you can do whatever you want as long as it's consensual, you know, whatever. Uh, right? That's kind of what people say. So my question would be, what if someone wants to have sex with a 12-year-old? You know, I'll go a step further. Do you have a, I mean, do you have a right to speak into that? What if that 12-year-old's your 12-year-old? Now you got something to say, don't you? Right? Um, Do you realize how complicated and yet incredibly important it is that we get this right? Do not judge or you too will be judged. What exactly does that mean? We we never have the right to call somebody on something and say, hey, that's wrong behavior. Do we never have the right to do that? It's complicated, but it's very, very important. If you were here last week, you'll remember that I gave you a little... Uh, a little brief teaching on how to accurately interpret and understand scripture it's that that idea is called hermeneutics if you were to go to a seminary one of the things you would do is you would engage in hermeneutics it's it's how to read scripture and and use it and um, basically what I did last week was give you a brief hermeneutical study on how to interpret scripture and so we talked about this. How do you do this? We talked about three things. The first thing we said was you, you've got to talk and understand the context of a scripture. You, you don't just pluck something out. What, what we don't want to do is just take one verse and take it out of context. We want to know who wrote it, why they wrote it, to whom they wrote it, what were the circumstances surrounding the people who wrote the passage, the circumstances of the people who received the, the letter that the passage might appear in, um, you know, what was going on in their world, what, what was the, the time period, the circumstances. We don't want to pull a verse of Scripture out of context and not really have anything around it to be able to interpret it. We just don't want to do that. Second thing we talked about is this. The best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. 
that's the best way to read the Bible is to, you know, to look at maybe other passages. Um, we're not just going to take one verse and interpret that and, you know, use our feelings and experiences. The best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. We're not going to build a theology on one verse. We're going to look at other verses that talk about the same thing. If we're looking at a verse on prayer, and this verse says this on prayer, and this verse says something that looks almost the exact opposite, then maybe we need to go find some other things where prayer is mentioned and see if we can come to some kind of consensus on exactly what the Bible says in totality about that particular verse. We're going to look at it in its totality and understand what God's word is, and we're going to build our theology upon something like that. The third thing is this. We're going to be not just students of the word, we're going to be doers of the word. We want to apply what it is that we learn. The Bible is not so much a text to be studied as it is a letter to be lived. That's really what we're after when we, when we come to the Bible. So what we want to try to understand, what does the Bible say? We want to keep it in context. We want to interpret the Bible with the Bible, and we want to apply it to our lives. So let's try that with this text, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. So I would ask you the question, what comes before Matthew 7? Matthew 6, that's right, it's not a trick question. Somebody's like, oh, we're talking about judging, and if I get it wrong, it's just going to be really bad. No, that's okay. Matt, Matt, you're right, Matthew chapter 6. See, uh, it sounds like Jesus, but I, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'll say Jesus. No. Matthew chapter 6 comes before Matthew chapter 7, and in Matthew chapter 6, one of the big themes in Matthew chapter 6 is hypocrisy. That's what he's talking about. Jesus is railing on the Pharisees. He's really giving them the business over hypocrisy. You see it in verse 2. You see it in verse 5. You see it in verse 16. He's dealing with hypocrisy. So the flow of the teaching as Jesus is talking, the theme is hypocrisy. Well, then you get to Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus says, do not judge. Later on in that same chapter, verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. Well, wait, 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 Jesus. I mean, you just finished telling me not to judge, but if I'm going to deem somebody a false prophet, what do I have to make? I have to make a value judgment on, on that person. So the very same chapter, Jesus says, do not judge, and he actually implies that you're going to have to make a judgment when he turns right around in verse 15 and says, watch out for false prophets. So what I want you to do is I, I, wanna, I, want, us to, I want to show you really clearly this morning that Jesus is not telling us that we, should not, that we should live our life with no discernment. Okay, That's not really the point this morning. He's not telling us that we should never have the right to speak truth into somebody else's world. What he's telling us is we've got to be very careful and we've got to be careful not to judge hypocritically. So verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you, you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's verses 1 and 2. And then you come to verse 3. Context, listen to what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? He says, you, what's the next word? You hypocrite. That's the big theme here. That's, that's what he's talking about. More hypocrisy. It's, about, it's more about hypocrisy than it is about judgment. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, you're not ever going to hold yourself back from trying to help a brother or sister in Christ to live a better life. Okay? If you love them and you can help them, 
then there's a way to do that that's not, a, you know, that's not an off-putting, uh, judgmental thing. There's a way to speak truth into somebody's life. But you're not going to go picking somebody else apart because you've got plenty of stuff going on with you that needs to be dealt with as well. So look in the mirror first. Don't pick apart other people's little faults when you've got big issues going on in your own world. He's saying don't judge hypocritically. That's the context And now what I want to do is I want to interpret the Bible with the Bible. I want to look at other verses that talk about this very important issue of judging. So I want to look at four things that the Bible clearly teaches us about judging. What's clear about judging, and the first thing is that we get it from Jesus, he teaches us that we should never judge superficially. That's the first thing. Let's be honest, almost all of us have done this or we, we practice doing this more than we, we really would care to admit. Here's what he said in, in John chapter 7. Stop judging by mere appearances. Let me say that again. Mere appearances. But instead, judge correctly. Wait, wait. Jesus, you mean you're, you're telling, there's a time that when you do judge, you judge accurately. That's what Jesus is saying. You should judge correctly. But do not judge by mere appearances. And this is what we do quite often. Some of us have the spiritual gift of judging by appearances. You know, that's kind of, you know, who does she think she is coming in here wearing something like that? I don't know who she is fixing her hair like that. You know, I mean, I look, and, and the dudes do it too. Oh, he thinks he's cool. Look at him come in here in his all shiny pickup truck. And doesn't he think he's something? I mean, we do it too. We all do it. Be very careful judging from a distance. The way they spend their money. I just can't understand what. No, 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 no. You don't hold their checkbook. You don't know how much money they have. You don't know where their money's going, what they're spending it on. You think you do because you see what they have. You don't know what they do with their money. I've known some very wealthy people that have been really good friends of mine. And they've had some really nice stuff. They've, they've done some really cool things. And people had no idea how generous they were behind the scenes. They had no idea how much money they gave away, where, the, where it went, what they gave to, what the amounts were. Staggered my imagination. Couldn't believe when I heard sometimes, you know, man, really, you give that much away? Yeah, I do it all the time. Wow. Um, if you know me, you know this about me. I feel like I should be in a, like some kind of AA class or something right now, but I love cars. I mean, I really love cars. Um, it's one of my favorite things to look at nice cars. If you have a really nice car, I have probably sinned and coveted your car. I don't want yours. I just want one just like it, pretty much, is, is really the case. But, and if I was a super wealthy person, I would not struggle with like houses all over the world or you know vacations and all that. I, that, that wouldn't be my struggle. I wouldn't struggle with bling or diamonds or jewelry or anything like that. My struggle would be to not have a different car for every week of the year. That'd be my struggle. Like, you know, have this ginormous garage with all these different cars, drive one for a week, get out of it, drive another one, you know. They'd all be fast or they'd, you know, be able to drive over things or, um, or, or be really quiet and comfortable. Um, I just really, I, I, I really like them. Did I mention I like cars? But um, so that led to a discussion between Didi and I the other day. We were talking about this. That we, we were watching television and, and a Mercedes commercial came on. And uh, I really like Mercedes. Just write that on your Christmas list. But um, 
So I, they, they showed this commercial, and I'm like, oh, that's so pretty. So we started having a conversation about would it be okay for me as a pastor to be seen and drive something like a Mercedes? Now, I'm just curious. Is it okay for the pastor to drive a Mercedes? Okay, well, then let's pray, and I'm, I'm you know, let's, <laughs> church is over. I got work to do, okay? Um, you know, I've, honestly, I've been shocked by how many hands have gone up in both services. I'll just tell you this, that Dee Dee and I reached the agreement that it's probably not a good idea for me to drive a Mercedes. I don't, I don't know if I could, honestly. I, I just don't know. It's okay for you to have, let me ask you, is it okay for us? Because what I anticipated was you, nobody was going to raise their hand, and then I was going to get all, you know, hot and bothered, like, well, is it okay for you to drive one? And all of you raise your hand, like, well, see, you know, like, so... Thank you very much for letting me drive a Mercedes. I'll never have one, but it's nice to know I could. But, but here's the thing. You know, if, if you were a person that said, no, I don't think the pastor should be able to drive a Mercedes. Well, let me ask you some questions. What, what if I find a really good deal on one? Is that okay? What if somebody gave me one? What if my dad drove one and my dad passed away and left it to me? then is it okay for the pastor to drive a Mercedes? I mean, you know, you, you don't know. You, you, you might see somebody driving something. You have no idea where it came from. I've got a good friend that's in a situation just like that. He's got a car that in his line of work, he probably shouldn't drive, probably shouldn't be seen in it. He didn't pay a dime for it. It's, it's been basically given to him, and he feels like he can't drive it. I mean, that's horrible that, that we judge people that way, and we, you know, that we would make value judgments. You don't know. You don't know where their money goes. You don't know where things come from. Don't judge things superficially. You know, and, and, and you may meet somebody one of these days, and you've, you've heard that they're a really nice person, but you meet them, and they don't really act like a really nice person, and you walk away, and you're like, man, they don't seem like that nice of a person to me. You know, what's wrong with them? Well, you don't, they may have just gotten some really bad news. They may have just found out something about one of their parents is ill and that the news isn't great and they're trying to put on a brave face for you and they're not doing a very good job and they walk away with this you know downtrodden heart and soul and they tried to meet you and be up for you but they it just didn't happen and you're walking away going man what a jerk they are you don't know they may have just found out something about one of their kids they may be worried about their house they may have just been downsized and nobody knows it yet and may, they might be carrying something that nobody knows, and here we are, we're judging them. Well, they're not a very nice person. They, you know, they, they didn't smile at me. Don't judge that. You don't know. That's right. He's preaching good. In the church world, in the church world, oh, we don't like that church. We don't like that pastor. Really? You don't even know him. Can I just tell you, I mean, we got people from all different places, right? Some of you have come to Jesus here. Some of you came to Jesus at some other church, and you've ended up here, and that's great. And wherever you come from, you're welcome here. That's fine. You just need to understand something about us. We're not against any other churches. We're not putting any other churches down. We don't talk them down in the office suite. We don't run other churches down. We're for the other pastors. We want them to be successful and do good things and we like those guys and root for them, pray for them, know some of them personally. Um, you know, it's, we're not competing at Cross Lane with anybody. There may be some churches that think they're competing with us. We're not competing with them. We want all the churches full, okay? They're, we're a little different than some of the other churches. There need to be all different kinds of churches. We understand that. It's all good, okay? But what's funny is that people, 
people will talk about me out in public and, and they don't think it gets back to me. Like they don't think that stuff filters back and that I don't eventually hear some of that stuff. And I've heard things that people have said about me who don't even know me. And they'll say stuff and I'm like, how would they even, why would they even say that? They don't, they don't know the first thing about me. Well, I just don't like that pastor. Oh, you've met him? No, I haven't met him. I just don't like him. Oh, okay. All right. No, no, no. I'll be honest and tell you that in the past year, I've been hurt by um, some people who made a judgment about me without even talking to me. They, they made a judgment. They, they heard of something that I supposedly said. They actually heard what I said. They didn't hear how I was saying it. They, didn't, they lifted it out of context. Um, they, they didn't hear me say it. They didn't know what my intent was. They didn't know what I was trying to accomplish with what I said. I'll even say this. I would say it again and have. But this person just decided, you know what, um, we don't like him, um, he's bad, and they never came to talk to me, never sat down with me, never let me explain my side of things, just, you know, um, made a value judgment and moved on. And the result of it is, it hurts. It hurts. It happens. As a church, what we're going to be is we're going to be four people, and we're going to be four God. You want to know what Cross Lane's about? We're four people, and we're four God. We're not going to judge people from a distance. We're going to give people the benefit of the doubt around here. We're going to believe the best. We're not going to judge based on just mere appearances. We're going to try to believe the best about people. Do not judge by mere appearances, Jesus said, but judge correctly. So there is a time to judge. Jesus is saying, but don't judge from a distance. Don't, don't judge by, you know, what you hear or, or b- judge by just one encounter. We want to judge correctly. So Jesus teaches us not to judge superficially. Paul comes along, and he teaches us don't judge hypocritically. He's talking to Roman believers, and he's telling them, look, guys, when you're pointing out the sin of other people, you need to understand that oftentimes you have the very same sin in your life. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 2. And this is, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I just like the way it's worded, especially the last part of it. You may think that you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. And then in verse 4, Paul's tone changes. And then you get his grace, and you get his passion, and you get the intensity of Paul. Listen to verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Why are you picking them apart? Have you looked at yourself? God's been gracious to you. Who are you? God's waiting to change you as well as them. Look at the last part of verse 4. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't judge hypocritically. What do we do? This is so common for us. We accuse others and we excuse ourselves. That's what we like to do. We accuse others, but we excuse ourselves. You ought to hear what they did. Oh my gosh, did you hear what they did? And then it comes to us and it's like, oh me? No, wait, wait, wait. Let me explain. You know, I didn't, you, you, you heard, you, you need the whole story. Kind of what I was just talking about a minute ago with me. You need the whole story. You know, we, we accuse others and we want to excuse ourselves. If you just knew my intentions, that's not who I am. Or it was just one time, you don't even know me. 
gets quiet in here. I must be preaching good. Is that right? We, we accuse others and we excuse ourselves. You want to know what I've noticed? The place where we issue our harshest judgments is often revealing our deepest weakness. Often when I find myself quick to judge somebody else, it's an indication I should probably check a mirror, look into my own soul, because it's probably a reflection of something going on in me. Typically, if I start focusing too much on, uh, the reason I don't really get on you is because I got so much going on in here, it's a full-time job, right? I don't have time to mess with you, I just got to deal with me all the time. That's what I find. If I start to focus too much on you guys, generally speaking, I can look in here and find every bit just as much wrong, and I need to start dealing with this before I really start dealing with you. Often when we judge others, we're, comp- we're, we're, we're condemning ourselves. When I was in college, um, we had, it's, they still have it. Um, it's called homecoming, and I, know, I realize a lot, of Bible, a lot of colleges have homecoming, but I went to Bible college. So at my college homecoming happens in february and it's a big preaching rally yeah your pulse just quickened i just saw it right there i mean then that 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 excites you doesn't it preaching rally so it's all these guys come in and they preach and then in between the the preaching then we adjourn and go into small groups and learn how to be better pastors sounds fun doesn't it so I went to one one time, and there was this guy that, was, that had come in, and, and this was a guy that in my Bible college was a big shot. Okay, we all knew this dude. He was pastor at a big church. He was pastor at one of the mega churches before we even used the term mega church. As students, we were afraid of this dude. He sat on the board at my Bible college. This guy, big time guy. Everybody knew him. He walked into a room. You knew he walked into a room. He just commanded things you just everybody knew his name he had a lot of power the outside optics were really good this guy looked good and I remember going to a workshop that he did on ministry and marriage which believe me that's a great workshop to have okay because ministry can be hard on a marriage so it's a great thing for for to take in so men's class ministry and marriage and he he started talking about how you know you can't do extramarital affairs and and, you know, how it hurts the church, and pastors have to be better than that, and, and all the things he was saying, he was, and he was really firm about it, and he was right, okay? I'm not saying that anything he said wasn't accurate. It was accurate. It was right, and I'm not putting this guy down. You might think I am. I'm not. I'm not. It came to light later on that this man had been carrying on multiple extramarital affairs at the time he taught the class and had been going on for years. Okay, now, I'm not putting him down. He's got problems and he's susceptible to fall just like anybody else. All right, and you can say, well, he's a pastor. Okay, let me just tell you something. You cut me, I bleed too. All right, pastors aren't immune from temptation. We, we struggle with the same kind of stuff you guys struggle with. This guy fell, he struggled. The point I'm trying to make is it's really easy to fall when you're pointing out somebody else's stuff, when you're paying all your attention to somebody else's sin, you need to be really careful and start looking in the mirror and realize, hey, this could be a problem for me. So there's a need to be careful. You don't want to be, um, you don't want to be superficial and judge that way. You don't want to judge hypocritically. Number three, we never want to hold Christians to an, uh, our non-Christians to a Christian standard. Don't hold non-believers to a Christian standard. Paul said. In 1 Corinthians, he said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? In other words, 
If they're not Jesus followers, who am I to tell them how they should be living their life anyway? It's none of my business. Paul goes on. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. The Bible uses the phrase, iron sharpens iron. That's what we're supposed to be to one another as Christians, as believers. Iron sharpens iron. I've got some people in my life that when I'm with them, we sharpen each other. You know, when I'm with the guys on staff, when I'm with my elders, my close friends, we sharpen each other. My good friend Michael, when we get together, we sharpen each other. That's kind of what we want to do. But I would add, we do it with truth spoken in love and with grace. And I would argue this as well, it should be done within relationship. It amazes me how Christians want to speak into the life of another Christian that they don't know that well and haven't taken time to build relationship with them. I can just tell you this about me personally. You have a better shot of me hearing your correction. You've got a better shot if, I, if you're family, if you're a close friend of mine, if you're on my staff, if you're one of my elders, or if you're in my small group. Okay, those people, or if you've taken time to get to know me over a long period of time and you would say, I'm good friends with Brett, I feel like I can go to him and I can say that. But if it's somebody that just walked up and has nothing, you know, they just know my name's Brett, they don't even know my last name, and they're going to start telling me about my life, dude, you have not earned the right. You have not earned the right to speak into my life and say those things. We need to do a lot of that stuff in relationship. And one of the things that happens is, we, we drive people away because we try to do some of that stuff too early without doing the hard work of building relationships with one another. Um, in my house, there were certain rules growing up. Like, I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to think my mom was nuts. Uh, I'll explain her rationale in a moment and let you decide. But I wasn't allowed to watch the show, the television show. I wasn't allowed to watch Mork and Mindy growing up. You remember Mork and Mindy? Can you believe my mom wouldn't let me watch Mork and Mindy? You know why? Here's why. Brett, that show is mindless. You've got a better brain than that. I'm not going to let you rot it out watching that guy. Nanu, nanu. I still got it, right? Um, is that it? What was it? Which one was it? Is that it? Okay. Is, what's the, what's, what's the, the Spock. Spock? Is that Spock too? Okay. I'm way out of my league right now. So, but, you know, so those were the rules in my mom's house. In my house, I had rules as the kids were growing up, certain things we didn't watch. You might have heard that and thought, man, Brett's nuts. Why wouldn't he let them watch that? That's stupid. Why, why wouldn't he do that? But I can't hold you accountable. I'm not going to make you adhere in your house with your kids by my rules, right? I can't expect that of you. Um, not my family, not my business. One of my favorite expressions, not my circus, not my monkeys, right? They're, they're your monkeys, and you've got to raise them. So as Christians, we don't hold non-Christians to our values. We don't hold them accountable to our stuff. It's not our place to judge them. And this is probably the number one reason that non-believers don't want to go to church. It's the reason they hate Christians, because they feel judged by us. We've got to stop doing that. I still can't get over the way Tiger Woods got skewered for what he did. You know, I, I didn't have much of a take on what Tiger Woods did. I, I don't know Tiger Woods. To my knowledge, not one time has Tiger Woods ever professed faith in Jesus Christ. So, and yet people were outraged at what he did. Now, do I think that, that 
that's something a married man should do? No. No, I don't. Is that something that I would teach my kids? Hey, you don't want to do that. That's not, that's not the way you want to be in a marriage relationship. That's it. Absolutely, I would teach. No, you don't want to do what Tiger did. But I'm not going to hold a non-Christian to a value that I hold as a Christian. He never professed faith in Jesus to me or to anybody else. And I might add, Tiger has paid a pretty high price for what he did, right? I used to teach the kids in youth group, uh, life is a series of choices, every choice has a consequence. You know what? You make bad choices, you don't need, you don't need my wrath. Life has a wrath all its own, right? And you make the wrong, the wrong choices and those kind of things just seem to have a way of, of kind of coming back to rest on you. So that's why at Cross Lane, there are so many of you who would say, you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm still checking this out, I don't know if I buy all this, but, but you know what? I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to do it my way, and I don't need you butting in. This is to which I would say you are welcome here. You're welcome here. We love you. You don't have to believe everything we believe to belong here. In fact, you will belong here long before you believe what we believe. In fact, you will belong here way before you start behaving the way we might want you to behave. That happens all the time. That's how Jesus was. He went up to people that were doing the craziest things. And he loved them. And, and, and he didn't leave them where they were. He took them to a new place. But it's important to note, it was Jesus who changed people, not other people. It is not my job to change you. It's Jesus' job to change you. My job is to love you and say, hey, let me help you get closer to Jesus. He's going to do some amazing things in your world. Let me tell you about him. Let me get you as close as I can get you to Jesus so that he can change your life. The same one who's changing me and doing a work in me, and he's chipping away at my blockhead every single day. It's extremely important that we get this right. So you're doing something that's challenging, and you're, maybe you're addicted to something, you've got some stuff going on. If you're sincerely seeking to know, is there a Jesus and is he real? If you're honestly pursuing him, you are welcome here, no matter what you're doing right now. I mean, you say, Brett, you don't know what I did last night. Don't care what you did last night. If you're sincerely pursuing Jesus and you've come here, you're welcome here. But if you're here and you've come to push some outside agenda, <laughs> that's not going to go real good for you because we're pretty resistant to that kind of thing. But if you've come here on level ground where all, all the rest of us just are saying, you know, we need a Savior, and you're here to say, I'm moving toward Jesus in some way, you are absolutely, completely welcome here. You are loved. You are embraced. So let's just take steps forward together toward Jesus, and let's let him conform us. Let's let him show us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and what it looks like to look like him. But let's not hold those outside the family of God to the family standard. It's God's place to deal with them. It's our place to love one another. And it's important that we get this right. Now, I, I got one more thing to say, and then I'm going to wrap up shop, close a little early, because I've got way more sermon than I've got time. And um, I, wanna, I want you to enjoy that we're singing a beautiful, wonderful new song. Love this song. Can't wait for us to sing this. But I want to I end with this. The Bible says this about judging. Don't do it superficially. Don't do it hypocritically. Don't hold those outside the family to the family standard. And number four, always help restore fallen believers. 
We should always help to restore the fallen believers. This is important because at some point, you're going to need it. At some point, I'm going to need it. I'm going to need to be corrected. I'm going to need to be restored. You're going to need to be restored. And when we do that, we, we, we need to do it the right way. We need to try and, and restore one another. Now, here's what I would say. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, this is inside the family. If someone is caught in a sin, but wait a minute, Brett, are you supposed to call it sin? Can we call it sin? Inside the family, we all say this is the Bible, this is what the Bible says. If it's contrary to what the Bible says, yes, it's a sin. We call it a sin. Is it politically correct? Not always. But we're inside the family. That's different. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should what? Should gossip about that person? Should kick them while they're down? Should kick them out of church? Shoot the wounded? Is that what we should do? You get some guy going, you know, you're going to go straight to hell. Going to burn weeping gnashing of teeth. Bless God. We ain't having that kind of behavior around here, dadgummit. The sinner, get that old sinner out of here. We don't want him. Not, we're, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. You who live by the Spirit should do what? You should restore that person how? Gently. Gently with the same grace that you'd like to be shown, with the same love that, that has been shown to you, you restore that one gently. All right, we're going to close. I'm just telling you that we're, we're out to try to bring people to Jesus. Our job is hard enough, okay? People are already resistant to the church. They think we hate them. We go out and try and apply biblical standards to people that aren't in the church yet, and, and it doesn't go well for us. When we do try to speak into the life of someone around here, it needs to be someone you know well. It needs to be someone that you love. And when you speak truth to them, the Bible says that Jesus came in grace and truth. And it's interesting, I would just point out, that, that grace comes before truth. And there's a risk when you do that. There's a risk when, when it's all grace, when it's all truth, this is what happens. You just can't do that. And somebody eventually rebels and they say, you know what, I'll do what I want to do. I don't need you to tell me what to do. That's what happens when we come at them with all truth. You've got to have grace and truth. What happens when we come at them with all grace? Oh, it's all good, brother. You just do what you want to do. No problem. Cool. I'll just go light this church on fire. No, wait, 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 not, not that. It's got to be grace and truth. When you speak to somebody, you're going to try and correct them. Speak to them truth with love. Be in relationship with them. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be superficial. And don't apply a standard to somebody that's not in the family. It's not the way we do things. And restore brothers and sisters gently. Let's pray. God, those of us who have given our life to Christ are forgiven. And we sit in this room recognizing how easy it is for us to play the hypocritical role. We don't want to be hypocrites. We confess our sin to you. We know we're not perfect. We're trying to work on us. Lord, we need your help in that to come do the things that we're incapable of doing on our own. We so desperately need the Spirit of God to help fix us. And Lord, if we're going to speak into somebody else's life, may it be because we love them. May it be because we don't want to see them make a mistake or we don't want to see them hurt. And when we do speak, would we do it with grace and love and truth? 
Father, you, you've perfectly modeled that for us. You have sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. And as this song says, you, you arrested death for us. Lord, we love you. We lift up your name. You're awesome. You're great. You should be praised. It's in the precious name of Jesus, we lift you up. Amen.